According to an assessment by Interpol and the United Nations Environment Program, illegal mining accounts for up to 48 billion U.S. dollars a year in criminal proceeds. And one of the areas most affected in the world, if not the most affected, is South America. Today on the America's Now podcast, we'll talk about illegal mining in South America. Hi, everyone. I'm Elaine Reyes in Washington, D.C., and this is the America's Now podcast. Today, we are talking with our Spain-based producer, Armando Guerra, who is currently in the city of Valencia. Hi, Armando. How are you? Hi. Thank you for having me. Well, thanks for being here. You know, I want to ask you about this report that you did. Uh, you reported about illegal mining in South America. But first, tell us how gold fever specifically is affecting the Amazon rainforest in Peru. Artisanal and um, small-scale gold mining, you know, it's a threat to biodiversity. It's, it's not only affected Peru, but all the Amazonian uh, region. Uh, that also extends to you know, Bolivia, to uh, um, uh, Brazil. So, but in, per in Peru, in particular, it's um, it's it's really in this area. The illegal gold mining is in this area, in the, in, in, La in one area is called La Pampa, which is in Madre de Dios, and it's uh, probably one hour. This this Ma La Pampa is the settlement, and it's one hour into the rainforest. You just are are, are agreed by this um, desert-like. Space with you know uh, small small lakes of you know green and red water, you know as a byproduct of, of the of the mining. You also traveled to Ecuador to report about a town with illegal underground gold mines. Tell us more about Zaruma. Yes, whereas in in Peru in the Amazon you have this like. Um, it's all very visible and and uh, it's mind blowing. In in Saruma, it takes a, a different twist. Saruma is a is a town in in, in the south of Ecuador, uh, almost near Peru, and it's perhaps one of the most beautiful cities in 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 Ecuador. And and it used to be uh, much more prosper when there was an American uh, gold mining company there. Uh, the the company left and people just started doing you know small scale artisanal gold mining. But what's interesting about this is that they go three kilometers outside the city, but they mine under the city because the uh, gold vein goes under the city, and you know buildings are collapsing. People, um, you know, when you know, a house falls down, people might die, and it's more complicated there because uh, Peru now has a huge uh, gang problem. And some of the gangs have been descended near and around Zaruma to also control the gold mines as a way to invest the money. So it's you know it's 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 a very complicated situation in terms of security. People there who have lived all their lives, who have invested all their money in in the old houses, and you know for for tourism now they're at risk of you know falling down. And there's no insurance in the world that can cover that. So you have these two locations that you visited. What is the one thing you learned from both of them? Do they share uh, the people behind the mining? Do they share the same motivation? 
Yes, I think, you know, the underlying problem here is poverty. You have people from the Andes descending, you know, going, you know, hundreds of kilometers to the Amazon. You know, people that have no business doing in the Amazon because they're not from there. But they have to go there because it's the only way they can support their families. In fact, they send the families through school, through university. Um, but at the same time, they're just, you know, destroying the one, uh, you know, it's one of the richest areas of biodiversity in the world and, and one of the ways that we can, you know, filter our air. Um, I think what they have in common is poverty. What they have in common is lack of access to re resources. And, and I think that's where also the solution is, because if you target the, that, that problem, then you can, you can have, you know, uh, maybe a solution is, is, it, is it, of course, is a much complicated, more expensive solution to target poverty. But, the, you know, it's, it's in the long run, it will solve this problem. The, there are options. Um, there are no quick solutions, but there are solutions. And there are options like, you know, bio rights, which is a scheme in which you um, go into a community and you um, uh, kind of like strike a contract with them, say, hey, um, you need to learn about the, you know, the biodiversity, you need to restore it and protect it. And in exchange, we'll give you a loan. And you can use that loan as long as you're meeting certain targets. And that after they meet all the targets, the loan becomes a grant. And, and that's, a, that's a viable solution. And I think that solution also lies within the hands of you know, the biggest polluting countries in the world. I, I think they should be responsible for um, uh, um, you know, footing the bill. Because to be honest, developing countries don't have the resources to, you know, police the Amazon. That is a, a, an incredibly vast land to police. I mean, it's just policing is not the solution. Uh, matter that just recently was intervened by the military. I think they have, they've sent over two thousand troops, and and I was there in one of the operations, small scale operation by the military, and they go in, you know, they they blow the uh, all the you know the miners equipment but that's basically you know it's it around twenty five thousand people live off in in the Madre Dios area of mining or related to mining so that's basically sent the miners further into the Amazon. Well okay. I want to ask I want to ask you about that quickly because you're talking about the motivations and you you fought at the military. Is that how uh the authorities in this case are handling or trying to get a grip on illegal mining is by using military force. Yes, I think they're past using the local uh, police. Um, everybody's, you know, is touched by gold. Um, by that, I mean, everybody's been bribed or have an interest in gold mining in the area. So they've they've you know they've had to use uh, in the case of Peru the military, so they bring in the military, they fly the military in, and they you know they station the military for a while. But at the at the end of the day, they they also stay there and they also get touched by the cold. <laughs> so I I think policing is yes you can control that area and that area is by the way about you know twenty five percent larger than LA. That's a huge amount of land that you have to cover so eventually you don't have they, they will run out of resources to keep this operation and the miners are basically 
they go further into the Amazon, and that's where you know they, they take the mining further down. Everything becomes more expensive. And La Pampa, the town that is built around this highway, where they take the gold nuggets out into Madre de Dios, where um, small houses buy the gold, um, it just stays there. Is is uh, the problem is it's, it's it has so many sides because there's human trafficking. Yeah, this might not even rank in the top uh, list of concerns that uh, the, these countries are dealing with at the moment. Um, were you in any danger at all when you were filming this story? What kind of risks did you have to deal with, both in Peru and Ecuador? Uh, in in Peru, yes, we we were in danger. In fact, we had to run from our location. We basically what we did: we asked um, um, a producer to uh, ask permission to one of the the owners of, of the mines. They're, they're kind of like owners between quotation marks because they, the land doesn't belong to them, but they have the the equipment and the gear, so they become the the owners. So he let us in, and we under the condition that we couldn't fly a drone. You know, we have to stick within the camp, and that camp is you know uh, 100 meters. Away, there's another gold mine, and uh, another, you know, 500 meters away, there's another. And it's like, you know, the, you know, tens and tens of uh, of gold mines in in a, in that given area. So we were there, but you know, we took some batteries. But at the end of the day, it was so hot that we ran out of batteries on the second day. So we had to go to the uh, the canteen to to have them charged, and uh, that's where people started seeing us. And they started asking around, and then the next day, that canteen was robbed, and people with motorcycles started circling around our gold mine. And we had our departure schedule for the next day. We had made arrangements, and 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 I, I knew there was something going on, and 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 then I told the producer, we need to get out of here right now. We have this story. Let's get out. And we grabbed some people on the motorcycles and just just ran through. The jungle, and I was really concerned because I they had told me how they assaulted people. They basically run a line, a cable through the jungle, and they kind of like cut cut your uh, throat. And oh. uh, so I didn't want to go through that. <laughs> oh my god! Brand, we had to run. Wow. Um, well, we are glad that you are here with us today. That is so scary. Um, you're talking about the danger, but also these places aren't, you're talking about the jungle. I mean, they're not easy to get to. Uh, and just the access to these areas. How much gear did you bring? Because for people who are listening who aren't familiar with, you know, filming on location, you know, a cruise, like you have to bring cameras, microphones, batteries, lights, all of these things. How did you move quickly in and out of these uh, very isolated areas with our gear we, mm -hmm. we have to slim down definitely and we we put everything in a backpack and we have we usually have two cameras for this should we we have two small cameras and we really slim down and uh, my colleague jerry we we shared another backpack with big super basic clothes and uh and a couple of hammocks that we thought were really good for uh for the location uh, they were not good at all and uh, and what else? Um, we we knew that we the means of transportation was motorcycles in and out of the jungle. They basically put like a, like a like a like a they make like very small 
boardwalk in the jungle for kilometers for like one hour and then you're met with a desert and that's where the jungle used to be it's just like a beach like a, a like a, a bad beach and um yes yeah, so we slimmed down uh, uh, two cameras a couple of backup mics forget about um uh, making backups uh we had to you know we made uh we recorded on two different cars just in case one got corrupted we had each we had a set of cars and um yeah we we, we traveled super light uh, for for this shoot we were not allowed to bring a drone i cannot imagine flying a drone there all the attention that would get us <laughs> yeah you don't you don't want any extra attention um Something I do want to bring to our attention again, speaking of, you mentioned the responsibility of rich, developed countries in helping mm. poorer countries. Um, this is a huge discussion that mm. is had all the time, uh, especially at the United Nations. Mm. Exploiting resources or respecting nature and, and finding that balance from what you've experienced and what you've seen in your reporting, both in Peru and Ecuador, is this achievable? Is it achievable in the short term? Is it achievable in the long term? I want to think it is achievable. Um, um, I, I know it's a, it's a very complicated long road ahead, but I think, um, as I said before, the the key is in developing countries getting outside help. And that means uh, financial help, uh, expertise, because um, usually, uh, for example, Peru or Uganda or, you know, or Ecuador, they're not big polluting countries. They're not making the big bucks, you know, in, in, in an industrial scale operation. Not at all. They're ba basically countries where people go for raw materials. And so they they need they definitely need help and uh they they given the current situation the poverty levels the state of the economy they need that um you know we create a scheme in which they receive that help and and in return they, they of course uh, we we can uh, um, you know uh, source these raw materials in a more sustainable fashion if that's if that's uh if that's a thing i I don't. I don't think greenwashing. Uh, you know, everybody uses sustainability now as a greenwashing word. I think it's it's a, it's a much more complicated than that. And um, sustainability also involves caring about people. You cannot achieve sustainability when your population is is in poverty or in need of this and that. So we need to solve that part of the equation first. And then, of course, uh, we can you know farm in a less intensive way. Um, you can grow, uh, maybe not. You know, we we also think about growth and growth and growth, and and that's not that's not real. This the, all resources are limited. I think we have to change the mindset. But but for people in developing countries to change their mindset, they need to have poverty in and poverty solved definitely. Yes, I mean, this issue is so much larger than simply illegal mining. It's so much, much more. Armando Vera, thank you so much for being with us on the America's Now podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you. 
The executive producer of the America's Now podcast is Jose Velasquez. Our audio editor is A.J. Moore. Joe Zarenko is our copy editor. Umberto Duran is the head of the Features Unit. And I am your host, Elaine Reyes. Until next time.